Welcome to the Super Show, Super Story Series. My name is Bobby Karate, Super Show Super Fan, and lover of great storytelling. This is a companion series to the Super Show where we take a trip into the world of fantasy and adventure. Today we make a stop in the heights where we hear a tale of its history and how it was born. Brilliantly narrated by Lord Macadel Barry Terrycloth III. Let the story begin. Chapter 9 Oscar Deladon We never met him. In 15 years we never met him. Not many did. You couldn't see him anywhere, but you could feel him everywhere. His power was absolute. He ran the region in every criminal industry. His network of operatives numbered in the thousands. With so many international connections and supply lines unified, his operation was impenetrable. Too big to fail. If somebody needed to be removed he controlled over 30 sleeper cells that would be activated to remove threats. Sky Unit, a three-man sniper detail shadowed him everywhere he went. They never revealed their location, not even to him. At any time when in public there were at least three snipers posted at optimum kill range. Excerpt from the LIA interrogation of reputed assassin Oscar Deladon. We were paid through wire transfer. On Fridays we'd pick up the money, and wait for the assignment. Two-story brownstone, corner of the block. If the second level light was on at 8 o'clock p.m. we were to return to the brownstone at 7 a.m. exactly, 7.01, no one would answer. We knocked on the door, dressed as painters and we dealt with a block captain. They called him Lil Earl. A Zion Brafe, a sketchy looking Haitian with a nasty scar across his face. When you looked at him, the scar looked like it still hurt, hard on the eyes. He liked young girls. Really young. Omar Fumes fed his fix with refugee girls he bought from the wharf flock meat. He was easy to control. He had a dark secret that would get him killed. He wasn't gay, but he dressed like it. A plus everything, silk shirts, linen pants all tailored, he looked like a million bucks. But in reality was a degenerate pervert. He was our contact for maybe eight jobs. I started out with Bobby Karate, a knife and bomb man out of the southwest. Lil Earl put us together after a couple individual jobs went well. He actually hated being called Little Earl, I only called him Mr. Braff. I found out later Lil Earl was the name of the man who swiped him with the box cutter. Bobby had problems with Francine Dean, a pool shark from down south. Bobby was in heavy debt to Francine, and Francine never forgave a debt, and this was twelve large. Bobby's old lady from Pittsburgh, a stick of dynamite named Ivy Leeds, had just checked into the Canopy Inn, a five-star love nest downtown. Francine tracked them down and her girlfriend Peaches kicked in the door, she wore a size 12 easy, Peaches beat Ivy's eyes closed and left her unconscious on the bathroom floor. She was a mess, poor girl, she was a beauty queen and they say when she got to the hospital she looked like she had been in a plane crash. Bobby stabbed Francine like 22 times but he couldn't kill her because Francine duct taped phone books to her body. 
Bobby was on top of Francine trying to kill her and Peaches raised up and smacked him to sleep with the toilet lid. They set the room on fire and left town left night. We'll be right back with more of the heights after these messages. My name is Avery Dufresne, and I am 11 years old. I've been listening to the Super Show since the very beginning way back last year. And I just want to say, these motherfuckers are certified premium shit kicking sons of bitches. I fucking love these fucking dudes. Holy crap, I don't know who they think they are when they do shit like that. I laugh out my fucking ass the entire show. Anybody who doesn't like the super show is a fucking knuckle-dragging troglodyte with a shit bag and an eye patch. Fuck the haters. Bunch of slow-petted cunty bitches. Who must be Helen Keller deaf as well as fucking stupid. I listen to the show while I do my paper route and run nicks and dimes to my school clientele. I asked Mrs. Crabtree the lady on my route if she listened to the show and she said. No, fuck that nonsense. So I shit in her petunias and glued her mailbox shut. You just got more time to listen now clever bitch. Oh and guess whose dimes just went to 15 bucks. Download the super show unless you're a applesauce crazy, cross-eyed, inbred, toenail chewing fuck off who don't know spit from spray paint. Please take a moment to support the products and services of these magnificent sponsors. After the overwhelming success and utter destruction of Martha Kent's single kitchen table restaurant, and not to mention that eviction notice from the Wayne Foundation, thanks for that photo op, Bruce, you dick, we are proud to present our newest concept in fine dining, Martha Kent's Country Fieldhouse and Kryptonite Distillery, featuring exclusive dishes like Eagley's Wings in a savory chutney au jus. I've had it myself, folks, and it's a revelation. Elephant trunk patties with a garlic chimichurri sauce. Someone grab my whitey tighties and sombrero already. King Shark's fin filet in a cow honey glaze. It's the only one people come and get it. Fried alien butterfly wings with a side of vigilante's toes. Or tater tots. And why not finish it all off with a fresh bowl of that tasty cow honey? Mmm. That's Martha Kent's Country Fieldhouse and Still in Mutterton. I want to thing cost them what? A couple hundred dollars. Eight hundred dollars? Yes. You paid eight hundred dollars? Yeah. Did you feel violated? No. <laughs> you should have. For eight hundred dollars. And now, back to the heights. Chapter 10 Francine's Girlfriend Peaches. Bobby lived, but he wasn't the same. Peaches fucked him up with that lid. He had a shitbag, a piece of his skull missing, he was always slobbering and craving applesauce. He had a stroke and was in a coma and lost the use of his right side. Peaches did a lot of motherfuckers like that though. She was just so big. Like, big Shirley big. Hands like a catcher's mitt. Always growling at everybody but Francine. Two people could not pass through the door at the same time with her. Definitely a problem. Every bit of six foot tall. Snoring and ain't even asleep. The only woman I ever avoided in my life. They say Francine didn't meet her, she made her out of zombie parts and hatred. 
She got caught stealing horses in San Pedro and was beheaded in the desert by the Vida cartel a few years later. I never saw Bobby again. It was too painful. The smugglers war brought a lot of fresh blood into Quisto Afari, young guns ready to make a name for themselves. Vakovsky, drove rum runs for him from the Bowery to the outskirts, the overnight trips. When Abel Means cleaved Henry Shortfeather to death for sleeping with Elaine Dufresne, Abel's main lady at the time, I had to take the rum run with Vakovsky. I think he was Russian and Romanian. Or Baltic or maybe even Greek. His accent made him hard to understand, but when you saw him he didn't need to say much. He was a big, country boy, strong as an ox. Said he had family in the Ukraine that he sent most of his money. He had to be 6364, 260, and he had a trick he'd do where he'd poke your eyes out with his thumbs. Chapter 11 Victor the Red He didn't really understand English, so he didn't talk a lot, he pretty much smiled and nodded most of the time. But he always knew what to do. I know what Rooney said, but Rooney is a liar. Rooney wasn't even there, he was breaking in gyms, stealing weights. Weights. He told you lies because he's a gutless motherfucker. Stealing weights. Who steals heavy shit? He's upstate right now because he blew his groin out stealing 145ers from Eckerville High School at 2 in the morning. In a rush he lifted wrong, tore a muscle in his groin and was found by the janitor at 7am wiggling on the floor, begging to go to the hospital. Apon Barkley's baby mama, Sharon Timmons, saw the police report, in writing, it said he was crying. Crying to the fucking police. This is gangster shit. Ain't no crying in gangster shit. Fuck Rooney, and anything he said to you. He was not one of us. Vakovsky was an asset. Marla Stavro, a Greek model raised in the Ukraine fell hard for Vakovsky, she showed him things and taught him English. But he brought her here, and when Rico Deladon saw Vakovsky and Marla leaving Haymaker Baker's Steakhouse, he was, let's just say, angry. Two days later, Marla took a header off her penthouse balcony. 25 floors up. Coroner's reports that she had severe wounds that were inflicted prior to her going through the Cadillac. He told Vakovsky that she was killed by Russian mobsters. He didn't want to kill Vak because he was an earner and kind of simple. He gave him Victor the Red's name as the man behind the hit. Vak left the next morning for Petersburg to kill Victor. Victor fed him to his pigs. Lucky for us, Victor assumed it was one of his other enemies and didn't kill the rest of us. They recovered Vakovsky's St. Michael's necklace from the pig shit. Since then, Since then I've worked I've alone. Worked alone. Chapter 12. The Sneaker Heist The sneaker heist was my idea. We didn't call it that though, that's the papers at work. Media needs names for headlines. We either called it the thing, 
393, that was the transit number of the semi-truck we stole. Panish had a crew of boosters who tipped him off by the time the trucks arrived. Panish called John Wolf's Claw, a Cherokee mountain man and top-shelf truck driver to drive the truck up to an old ranger camp and stash it near Mary's farm. On the inside was Danielle. She was a pretty face but had a block of ice in her chest. She robbed banks, dope dealers, crooked cops you name it, she had zero fear. The delivery was at midnight, me, Panish and John Wolf's claw watched the truck pull in and waited for the signal. Danielle always had a Walther P-38 on her, she saw a James Bond movie as a kid and her father gave her one for her 13th birthday. She drew the 38-6 shot and forced the employees into the storage room and locked them in. She flickered the dock light, and we stepped in. Panish rushed the driver, I turned and pap, pap, pap. The driver shot Panish in the chest, neck and face. John threw a pocket hatchet at the driver, he missed and the driver shot John through the face. Pap, pap, pap. I only brought a taser, the plan was to zap him and take the truck. At this point me and Danielle are looking at life in prison. Danielle entered the dock and winged the driver. Pap, pap, pap firing all crazy and shit. Stunned, the driver turned and shot Danielle in the face too. Pap. At this point I have accepted that this motherfucker is good at shooting motherfuckers in the face. I hit him with the taser and zapped him stiff as a board. I snatched the Glock from his hand and shot him in the face. I jumped in the truck and drove to Mary's farm. Cleared a hundred grand off that heist. Death toll was higher than I wanted but sometimes there's some itchy finger guys that make heists go wrong. Sold the truck to bootleggers and all the shoes to the 43rd Street Crips. Caught a red eye to Miami and faded into the crowd. We'll be right back with more of the heights after these messages. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Do you suffer from headaches? Then take a pen. Aspirin plus phenacetin plus caffeine added together make pen. These extra ingredients are why Fenzik works better than aspirin alone. You'll soon feel fine again with Fenzik. So take Fenzik for sure relief of headaches. Remember, Fenzik is better for headaches than aspirin alone. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. And now, back to the heights. Chapter 13. C.C. Dupree Hung out by the beach for a couple of summers off that job. I was staying with a Cuban dancer from Mangos named C.C. Dupree. I went to see Hoppy Sosa, 
a major heroin middleman in Dade County. I needed the work and Hoppy was known as a straight shooter and paid motherfuckers proper. I came back to the apartment the door was kicked in and Cece's throat was cut and she had took two to the face it looked like. I had 80,000 in a shoebox, it wasn't touched, when they didn't ransack you that means it was a hit not a robbery. I grabbed the 80, my bulldog, 12 hollow points, and climbed out the bathroom window. One-eyed Jimmy Bivens. He sent him to put me down. I didn't want Jimmy to catch me, he's a sadistic motherfucker. I'm not afraid to die, but he might do things to my corpse that would hurt my mama. So it's best I leave immediately. Ever since Tommy Deladon knocked Jimmy's eye out with a pool cue, Jimmy's been doing four to five bags of heroin a day. Because of his limited field of vision he would always double tap to make sure they were dead. He slit CC's throat out of anger for not finding me. I called Hoppy, told him to put the word out about one-eyed motherfuckers buying bags. If he buys a bag in Miami it will be his last bag. I just had to stay alive till he needed another fix. A couple of days later I'm watching the news in a motel in Fort Lauderdale, and they said they found Jimmy slumped in his front seat dead, bleeding from the nose. Hoppy got him with a hot bag. Uncut black tar. He was dead in minutes. I stayed in Miami for a few months but the governor used Jimmy's death as a call to justice for dead junkies and started to look heavily into Jimmy's death and where he got the tar. He had the street crimes task force, rounding motherfuckers up, and a lot of motherfuckers started talking, so I had to get so out I before, to get I, out was before I was caught up. Tune in next time to experience more of the fantastical, the fantastical world, world of the heights.